right, everyone doing awesome? Yes? Perfect. All right, I'm excited about the word. I've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and fought and prayed for, well, for a couple of weeks since I know I was ministering. But then today, um, I woke up in the middle of the night last night, even fighting through some of this and praying today. And I believe that God has a very powerful word in store. But here's what I believe on our end of it is that we're here. That's the first part. But the second part is don't be here just to hear. Be here to do. Be here to take, to grab hold, to apply, and go, I refuse to leave the same way that I, that I came. Because when we say, God, I want everything that you have for me, he gives it. It says that when we ask, he answers. When we call, he answers. When we draw near, he draws near. Okay, that's the God that we serve. And I absolutely, I just, I love, I love, I love what the revelation that he gives. And that we can be in a room and every single one of us will receive the exact word that he has in store for us. And we can be in completely different seasons. We could be in different places. We can be in different things in life. But the exact word that we need for this season that God has available. Isn't that cool? So are you guys ready to receive? Okay, the other part of this is I was praying today, and guys, my heart was just broken as I was praying for our church, as I was praying for our church in a nation. When I say our church, not just the feed store church, but the body of Christ across the universe, the, the church, and my heart was just shattered, and I'm breaking, and I'm crying, and I'm praying, and I'm fighting through, and you know, I just go, God, what, what do you want to say? And it was so huge on my heart today, just the love of God going, I love my church. I love my people. And so I go, okay, but so I just need to tell them that you love them. And we like, peace out and go home. Like that's, that's how it's going to go. But it wasn't that. There was, a, there was a boldness and a truth that came. And that's what I'm going to share tonight. And so what I'd ask as, as we prepare, it's kind of one of those messages, you know, like um, in John, when God says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. Okay, that's kind of what I feel about this message. Like, there's going to be some truth coming, but be of good cheer. Okay, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. And so my, my heart is that we would prepare our hearts to go, my God loves me. And what my God has to say to me matters. And what my God has to say to me brings truth. What my God has to say to me brings freedom. What God has to say to me, because he knows my tomorrows and I don't. And so it may be a different message, maybe a little bolder message than what we normally speak. But don't get offended. Don't get upset. Don't get all Twitter-pated about it. Because if, if we're supposed to speak it, we're supposed to hear it, right? And so if I'm supposed to speak it, this is not Shelby's, what Shelby thinks we should tell the church. This is from hours in prayer of going, God, what do you have to say? And so it did. And I, and I fought through and I argued a bunch of it because I had a whole other message. And I said, God, I just don't feel like that's what we're supposed to say tonight. And it was. So that's what we're going to say tonight. Um, but where I'd like to start is let's go to 2 Timothy 3.16. And I just want to reinforce a little bit of what I just said. But I'm excited. It's going to be a fun word tonight, but I believe it truly will bring freedom. I believe that our eyes will be very much so opened in a good way. But 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says, All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, here's what that scripture didn't say. It did not say all scripture is God breathed and it is for your comfort, your enjoyment, your relaxation to leave you the way you are. That is not what that scripture said. It says that it is for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. That the word of God is, yeah, he does comfort us. He does, he does bring joy. He does bring peace. He does bring strength. He does bring, but there's part of that that we have to do our part and step into a new level and go, God, correct me where I'm at. God, take me to a new level. I don't want to stay here. I don't want to stay in a place of comfort and miss out on the fullness that you have for me. Abraham's father, it'd be Abram's father at this point. God had called him out and asked him to go to another place. And what he did was he started going to another place, but then he got a place that he was comfortable and he got to this place that he was comfortable and he just stayed there and then he died there. That's the end of his story. It's a very sad story to me as I was reading that today. I went, he just got to a place of comfort and died in comfort. Like he didn't accomplish anything, he didn't do anything. But then we have Abram who has almost the same instructions. Hey, I need you to go here. And Abram went all the way there and he listened to all the instructions that God had for him, even in a place of discomfort, even in a place that he didn't know, even in a place that wasn't recognized, he went all the way there and we see what God accomplished through him. And so we will be one of two people. We will go and we will follow God until we're comfortable and then we'll die there. Or we will follow God to the fullness that he has for us. We see the same thing with the children of Israel when they came out of um, Egypt and they're, they're in, in Kadesh, which is almost the promised land, almost good enough. It's overflowing with what's in the promised land, but it's not the promised land. And they got comfortable there and they stayed there and they died there until a new generation moved into the promised land. I refuse, as I was, I was reading through this, I go, God, I refuse to die in comfort. I refuse now, whether that's a physical death or a spiritual death, either one, but I refuse to die in a place in comfort. I, I refuse to follow you to a place that I'm comfortable and then stay there because it's not comfortable moving beyond that. It doesn't appease my flesh to move beyond that. It's not popular to move beyond that. I wanna follow you to the fullness of what you have. And again, as I was praying just for the church, you know, um, I really like to read. I, like, I don't really love movies, but I really like to read. I like some movies, but I only like to watch them once. But the thing about the movies, the reading, whatever it is, is there's the beginning that's like set in the stage, set in the theme. You learn the background of all the characters, how they relate to each other, a little bit of the storyline, right? And then there's the happy ending at the end. But somewhere kind of towards, it's really not the middle, it's kind of towards the end, right before the end, there's the climax of the story. And this is my favorite part of the story. Because in this climax, you find out who's gonna rise to the occasion and do what needs to be done. And then you find out who's gonna quit and walk away. You find out who's gonna deceive and who's gonna be deceived. You're gonna find out the real tricks of the enemy, who the real enemy actually is. And then there's all these super cool like tactics and creativity that the main character overcomes and defeats the climax of the story. And then there's a happily ever after, right? So every message that we hear is, these are the end days. This is the end. Well, my Bible promises a happy ending and there's nothing about the world that's happy right now. So I think it's the climax of the story and not the happy ending. That's my belief. So I don't think the end is here. I think it's coming, but I think we're in the climax, which again is the part of the story that we get to see who's going to rise to the occasion, who's going to quit, 
Who's going to walk away? Who's gonna deceive? Who's going to be deceived? Who the real enemy is and what his actual game plan is and how that's gonna be overcome in a way where there's this super awesome plot twist that we didn't see coming, right? And we see that in the stories in the Word of God, but then we see that right now in America. So my question is to us as individuals, but then us as a church is, are we gonna to rise to the occasion in what's going on right now? Because I believe now more than ever that God is gonna use his church, that the church is going to be used in powerful, powerful, powerful ways. But the thing about the church is it's not, I'm not the church, I'm not the, because I stand on the platform, it is not my job to move the church in powerful ways. It is not my dad's job. It is not any speaker here. It is our job. Does that make sense? Us together, when we all do our part, things move. When we all do our part, we see victory. When we all do our part, things are changed. But it takes all of us doing our part. And we're gonna go over this tonight. But I, um, as a, the title of my message, we should start there, huh? So the title of my message is to live uncompromised to live uncompromised. And here's what the word compromise means. To accept standards lower than is desirable. To accept standards lower than is desirable. Made vulnerable as to attack or misuse. Unable to function optimally. Impaired or diminished in function. That's what, that's what compromised means. When we live a compromised lifestyle. So my dad has been doing a series about the fog of war. And we've said over the last few days, like that was a whole lot more prophetic than what we originally thought with what is going on around us, right? Okay, things have got foggy real fast. So if you've missed all that and you wonder what's going on in your world, go back and go to the beginning of that series and listen through. We've been talking about the, the fog of war. Okay, when this fog comes and we're not where we are supposed to be and we're not focused on what we're supposed to be focused on with the tools that God has given us to be able to use, then we find ourselves in a compromised state. We find ourselves in a state that you're like, man, I'm living at standards that are way less than what I originally thought I would be living at. I feel diminished, I feel unable to function optimally. That's not how God created us to live. That's not the life that God has created. All throughout the word of God, it says that you will have life and you will have life more abundantly, that you are more than a conqueror, that you can do all things. That's what the word says. Then why are we in this place that we're living compromised? Why are we in a place that we can't see where things seem heavy? And we're gonna talk about that tonight because what I believe is that the church has been lulled to sleep. I believe that we're, the church in America has become to a very complacent, very common place where instead of standing and walking in the truth of the word of God, we've compromised the truth of the word of God. We've got to a place that's comfortable and now things are getting a little crazy. Fog is coming in. And then we're at this place where we're going, oh, well, I know the word and I go to church, but I still can't see. And I don't know what the heaviness is and I can't think and I can't function and everything's falling apart and my family's falling apart and I'm falling apart and I don't know what else is falling apart, but everything's falling apart. And we're in this fog because we're in a compromised state because somewhere the standard of word of God has come down. Somewhere the standard of the word of God and the truth of the word of God has been compromised in our lives. And we're gonna walk through this just a little bit. Um, the definition of uncompromised is to be immovable, unrelenting, unyielding, determined. Immovable, unrelenting, unyielding, and determined. 
The opposite of uncompromised is to be lax, loose, and relaxed. Lax, loose, and, re and relaxed. That we live lax. We live loose. I was, uh, you know, thinking about the Apostle Paul and how he wrote all those letters to the churches. I was just wondering what the letter to the Church of America would sound like. Like there's a reason God cut it off when he did. That's enough Bible, we'll send him that and call it good. But I do, because I go, is the church really that much different than the world? I don't say that judgmental, but is it? Is it really that much different? It should be. And that's my challenge in, in this message. So have we become, uh, do we live lives that are lax and loose and relaxed? Okay, I wanted to read this little excerpt here. You might be surprised to know how typical Americans spend their lives. The average American is involved in six motor vehicle accidents is hospitalized eight times as men and 12 times as women, catches 304 colds. This was pre-COVID. So catches COVID 304 times, makes 1,811 trips to McDonald's, eats 35,138 cookies and 1,483 pounds of candy. <laughs> Manna. Consumes 109,354 pounds of food, spends $89,281 on food, spends $6,881 in vending machines, three years in business meetings, 13 years watching TV, and 24 years of sleeping. That's quite the life, right? Man. So I read that and it just made me, made me laugh. And I wanted to start with something a little bit lighter, but something great that like I go, man, we spend our lives doing a whole lot of things. But at the end of life, I go, how many of the things that we spend so much time doing really matter? How many things really, what'd that TV do for you? The candy, besides diabetes. Like, th there's nothing. How many hours do we spend putting into the things that really matter? Um, there's a story of the wise and foolish virgins. And it talked about that there was, they were waiting for the bridegroom, that they were waiting for this wedding reception, which, which represents Jesus coming. And it says that they all had lamps. And it says that the wise virgins, that they know they didn't just have oil that was in their lamps, but they had extra oil. So they had both. Because in case his return was delayed, they had extra. They didn't get just what they needed for that moment and just what they needed. They had extra but it said that the foolish virgins, that they did not get any extra. And it says that they were sleeping and the bridegroom was returning and that they woke up and there was no extra oil and that they were, they were looking for the extra oil. And so then they asked the, the wise virgins, they said, can we, can we get the, your extra oil? 
And they said, no, you're gonna have to go buy some. They did not know that gas was gonna be inflated to such crazy prices. And that is why they missed the bridegroom and they couldn't go because gas prices just went out the roof. And they didn't have time to travel to Russia to get oil. It was a really sad story. But my point with that is that as we're preparing for Jesus to come back, as we're preparing for the climax of this story, do we spend our time getting just what we need to know or to be able to handle the circumstances that we know are coming? Or do we spend our time and put our effort in and go, God, I need everything that you have for me because you know the things that are coming that even that I don't know about. That I have more than enough so that I can, I do have the ability to speak into other people, that I do have the ability to do all that you've created me to do and walk through the unforeseen circumstances and not just enough for what I prepared for. I need more than just what I can prepare for in my own strength. And I believe that was the difference in the two sets is that one, they got enough for what they needed for their own strength or what, what they logically thought out. This is what I planned for and this is what I need. And sometimes we can live our spiritual lives that way that I get just what I need for what I know is coming. I get just what I need for what I know I'm gonna face for just the season that I'm currently facing and I never go beyond that. I stay in the place of comfort that I get what I need for what I know I'm gonna face and what, I'm gonna, what I know in my own strength. Instead of going, God, what do you have for me? So that then I have more than enough. So then whatever what I face, I have what God has for me, not what I planned for me. Does that make sense? Do we see the difference? Now let's go to Matthew 25. I'm just kind of setting a foundation here. And I wanna look at, starting in verse 14, and it's the parable of the talents. And it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two talents gained two more also. But he who had received one talent went and dug it in the ground and his Lord's and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and bought five other talents saying, Lord, you delivered me five. Look, I have gained five more besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things and I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, he, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For everyone who has more will be given and he will have an abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And he cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
And I know that's a popular parable that, that we hear, but the way I want to look at this for just a minute is we talked about, again, the body of Christ and that at the climax of this story that we have the ability to decide whether we are going to rise to the occasion or whether we're going to die comfortable and quit. Okay, when you look at these, these servants here, the, the master was not upset because of his lack of talent. The master was upset because he didn't do his part. Because he sat on it comfortably and he didn't do with what he had been given to do with. And how many of us, I ask myself this question, I go, man, am I doing my part? Am I using the gifts and talents and the abilities and the influence that God has given me? Am I using the time that God has given me? Am I given the, using the resources that God has given me? Am I using all of that to his glory? Or do I have it and I'm sitting on it? And that's my question to us is we will either do our part and be who God has created us to be, or we'll just sit on what's his. And it says you wicked and lazy servant. And the definition of wicked there is to not use what you have been given. You wicked and lazy servant, just to not use what you've been given. Every single one of us has been given influence. Every single one of us has been given gifts and talents and ability. And every single one of those things that we have that God has given us are to be used to glorify him. Now those are gonna be different things in all of us, but the second that we sit on and just sit on our gift and it not be used to glorify him, that's where we become a wicked and a lazy servant because we chose comfort outside of I'm gonna use everything that God has given me. So we all have a part to play. We know where it says that we are the body of Christ and a body has many members. We all have a part to play and it's an important part and it matters. Every single one of us in this room, look around your room because sometimes we feel like, no, they have an important part. I don't really have much to offer. Again, it wasn't about how many talents that servant had to offer. It was whether or not he did his part. Every one of us in this room has a part to play. Every one of us. We all have an influence in different people. We all have places that we go that none of the rest of us go. And we all have gifts and talents and abilities that will advance the body of Christ and that will help us reach the climax of this story and overcome the enemy. But we've got to do our part. We've got to do our part. Um, let's look at Philippians 2.12 really quick. I want us to understand how important each of our parts are to play, that it's not just certain people, it's not just popular people, it's not just every single one of us has a part to play that no one else can play. No one else is you. Philippians 2.12, and it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights to the world, holding fast to the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in or labored in vain." Hold fast to the word of God. Okay, but what does it say? To work out your own salvation. 
I can't work out your salvation for you. The person next to you cannot work out your salvation for you. Your spouse cannot work out your salvation for you. Your boss cannot work out your salvation for you. It is on each of us that we take the responsibility to do our part. Are we catching this? Okay, so the first part in living an uncompromised lifestyle is that I have to take responsibility to do my part. No one's gonna do my part for me. I have to take responsibility to do my part. God has created us so unique and so specific to the plans and purposes that he has for us. And he has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. In Psalms 139, and you can read it on your own, but it talks about how he formed us before we were in our mother's womb, that our days were fashioned and were written before us. Okay, that tells me that my God has a plan for my life before I ever existed, that I was purposed to live on earth. Do we agree? Okay, here's the thing. My God plans only for good and not for evil, okay? So there's a difference in what people call predestination. And here's what I want us to catch in this point, okay? Sometimes it's easy and you hear it in the church a lot that it doesn't matter how I live because God already knows it's gonna happen anyway. Doesn't matter. I don't have to live intentional. I don't have to live on purpose. God already knows. I want, I want to clarify something here. Okay, God knows all, yes, but the days and the book that he wrote about our lives are for good, are purposed on how he purposed us in heaven. Okay, it also says the same thing about Jesus, that he had a purpose to accomplish here on earth, right? Jesus could have made a choice otherwise, and it would have affected a lot of people. Adam's book that God had written for him, God did not purpose for Adam to sin in the garden. That was a choice that Adam made. Do we see this? Okay, we tracking? That means that God has a perfect plan and a purpose for my life and the only way for me to know it and to walk in it is in him. Outside of him, I will do as I plan and I purpose and I can very well fall short and walk short of the plans and the purposes that he has for me. Okay, so it does matter. I can choose to live subpar to the word of God and I can choose to live subpar to the plans and the purposes that God has for me when I live a life outside of a relationship with him. Does that make sense? Okay, I know that's a huge foundation in going forward here is that I have to take responsibility and I have to do my part, but not my own plans, not my own purpose, not in my own strength. I have to submit those to the word of God so that I know what God has planned for me, what God has purposed for me. And when I abide in his word, then I can do what I'm created to do in the character of God that brings glory to him and not in character that is going to lead people astray. You see the difference? So there's two differences. I have to live according to the word of God in truth, not outside of it but God has a plan and a purpose for every single person in this room. You are not overlooked. It is on purpose. God has a plan for you, intentional purpose for you. You are not forgotten. You are not an accident. There is a purpose for your life. Whether or not you walk in it is on you. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Take responsibility and do our part. And that sounds harsh, but no one else is gonna do it for you. God's not just gonna pop you in here and hope you arrive. Because in order to walk out the plans and the purposes that he has, we have to develop the character that it takes to get there. And it's a process. So that's the importance of being in the word and that's the importance of having a living relationship with him. 
In Ephesians 2.10, you don't have to turn there either. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship. Workmanship is actually the word poem that we are written. We are his masterpiece that he, he wrote about us, created in Christ Jesus. Um, okay, so that's point number one to living an uncompromised life is we have to take responsibility and we have to do our part, okay? Point number two, we have to know truth outside of exceptions. Okay, here's the thing. Um, when I coach basketball in any leadership position I've ever had, you set a standard for your team. You set a standard for things. And without, like, without fail, no matter what situation I'm in, there's always multiple people that believe that they're the exception to the rule. No matter what. Practice is mandatory or you don't play. Um, I'm sorry, my daughter has other commitments. Well, I'm sorry that she's committed elsewhere. She's not playing but then they're upset. Was there a standard set? Yes, but for some reason, because of their circumstance, they are the exception to the rule. And it doesn't matter, it can be church standards, it can, whatever it is, there is always without fail, no matter what, an exception to the rule, always. Always, always, always. There's an, I mean, we're doing Bible camp registrations. I had someone call me the other day. <laughs> well, I didn't hear about your camp till today and I would like to put my child in leather and I see that it's full. I'm sorry you did not hear about our camp until today, but that class is full. That is why you can't register your child. Yeah, but I didn't hear it today. I said, are you implying that it is my fault that you did not hear about my camp until today? Oh, well, I said, no, that class is full. You are welcome to put your kid in another class. Well, because that class is full, what I've decided to do is, I know all the other kids have already got to pick their class. My kid is gonna to come to camp and not select an event. Um, no, you, you, you can't do that. Okay, but okay, just proving my point. There's always an exception, right? Okay, so now let's move this spiritually and living an uncompromised life. We spend more time being the exception to the rule in the word of God than we do just obeying the truth of the word of God. Everyone else can tithe. We know the Bible says the tithe, but I'm the exception because of my financial situation. Does the Bible say that? You're right. God set this standard and forgot someone as holy as you would walk the planet and you're above tithing. Sounds a little bit harsh, but it, it's true. He talks about the importance of being a part of the body of Christ and being in church, but wait, that only applies to me when I'm not busy doing all of these other things. I read that in my Bible too this morning. It says to honor all authority, but you don't know my boss. Ah, clearly God missed that when he wrote your book. You see where this is going? And we laugh, but that was super convicting today as I'm reading, I'm going, God, do I try to make an exception for myself outside of the truth of the word of God? We, we live trying to build, 627 times in the word of God, it talks about alcohol, but God didn't know that I would be on the planet. I can handle it. That's why he said 627 times not to touch it, but by all means. I know it got quiet. 
told you this was gonna be rough. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Okay, that, I know it's a bold statement, but guys, somewhere we have to choose that we're gonna align with our lives with the truth of God's word or not. We are going to align or we will not, or we will always be an exception. There is always a reason that I do not have to follow the word of God. There is always a reason that I can live different. There's always a reason that I don't have to honor, that I don't have to obey, that I don't have to give, that I don't have to, gosh, we start the fast. I have five different people walk up to me and explain why fasting is not for them. I'm not God, take it up with him. Why? Because there's an exception to the rule. But then the same people are the ones that go, I'm not seeing God's blessing. I'm not seeing God's favor. I'm not seeing God at work in my life. Are we obeying the word of God? Or are we becoming an exception to the word of God? Because there's a difference. And we are told to obey the word of God. Guys, this is truth. This brings life. This brings, okay, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If this is the truth, and we know that the word, in the beginning was the word, the word was God, and the word with God, right? Okay, so this is absolute truth. He is absolute truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then it says, you shall know the truth. You shall know the truth. This is the truth. He is the truth. And the truth will set you free. Why are we in bondage? Because we may know the truth, but we don't live by the truth. We're the exception to the rule. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. I believe that if we would actually abide in truth, that if we would truly know truth and walk out truth and live by truth and speak truth, the world would be a completely different place. Jesus never compromised truth. The whole time on earth, he never compromised truth, ever. But see, here's the thing. He didn't give us truth to be a rule book and take fun away. And that's why I say from the beginning when I was praying today and God's going, let them know how much I love them. Because nowhere in the word of God does he come and say, I love you. He did. He loves us the way we are. He absolutely loves us the way we are. But he never left anyone in the condition that he found them. And too many times we go, Jesus, I want you to love me in my condition, but then I want you to leave me here because it's more comfortable for me. And I'd rather die here than get up and do something different. And so now we live in a position where we, we just, we just want to be loved in the condition that we're in. And we don't want Jesus to actually do something in our life because if he did something in our life, we would have to walk differently. We would have to respond to truth. We would live free. We wouldn't have an excuse to be in the situations that we're in. And guys, we have a God that loves us and desires for us to live free. He, we have a God that loves us and desires to give us more than what we can ask or imagine to, that gives us a life that, guys, we can't come up with the kind of life that God has for us. We're gonna face things. Life is hard enough as it is. But when we choose to stay in a life filled with sin, to stay in a life that's contrary to the word of God, it has consequences. And not just for you, for the people around you, for your kids, it makes a difference, I promise you. And again, I know this is a hard message and I know, but man, hear it and go, I will be somebody that's gonna stand up and gonna grab hold of truth and I'm not gonna live my life short of the fullness that God has for me. I'm not gonna stop short. I'm gonna live in truth. I'm gonna respond in truth because there's freedom in here. This isn't to penalize us. 
This is to bring freedom. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come so we can stay here. But then how many of us do the same thing? You know, I think about the, the prostitute that was, that was brought out and she was caught in the, the act of adultery and she, she was thrown in the streets. And yeah, he dealt with the accusers. But this is what Jesus didn't do. Let me compromise my character and be besties with you while you're doing your sin. Um, and so you don't feel judged. Is that what he told her? No, he said, go and sin no more. He didn't judge her. He wanted her set free. And I guarantee you, she felt more love in that moment than she had in her entire life. And truth was spoke to her. Not judgment, not criticism, but Jesus didn't comfort her in her sin. He said, go and sin no more. And us as the body of Christ, that's part of where we're headed tonight and where we're gonna get to is that we can't comfort the sin around us. We have to be able to speak truth, but we can't speak truth if we don't know truth. And it's hypocritical for us to speak truth when we don't live truth. And so before we can speak truth, before we can live truth, we have to know truth. So I have to set myself in a place that goes, I'm taking responsibility for who God created to me to be. And I'm going to act like it. I'm gonna know truth. I'm gonna grab hold of everything that he has for me. I'm not gonna make exceptions. I'm not gonna make excuses. I'm gonna know him. I'm gonna know the word. I'm gonna know the truth of the word of God, but I'm not just gonna hear it. Now I'm gonna do it. And so now I'm gonna live out truth. And because I took responsibility and I'm gonna do my part because now I know truth and I'm living truth, now I have the ability to speak truth into people around me. Too many times we want to, okay, so this part applies to me and this part, I read that scripture this morning and Todd should not be doing that. Somebody needs to speak truth to him. Right? We know the truth, but we skip the step in living the truth. And so now we point the truth out in someone else's life. That's not what truth was supposed to, to be for. That's judgment. That's being critical. That's because in order for me to truly know truth, that means I have a personal relationship with the person of truth. Let's look at um, John 16, 13 really quick. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore I say, therefore I said that he will take mine and declare it to you. He, the spirit of truth, will guide me into all truth. So not only do we know the person of truth, but I have truth living on the inside of me. And so when I submit to the fullness of the truth of the word of God, and I wanna go back to that scripture where it says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Okay, knowing the truth can be a multitude of things, but here's what, what, we, what we do is we want 
opinions to set us free. We want comfort to set us free. We want God's peace to set us free. We want, but see, when we seek all of those things outside of truth, it does not hold the power to truly set us free because it says you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So when we're looking, when we're facing circumstances, when we're facing situations where we go, man, I don't know, I, I feel anxiety and fear and I just need guidance and I just need direction. We need to seek truth in those moments, the truth of God's word, not the opinions of people around us. Not Those are accountability is important. We're gonna get to that in a minute, but nothing outweighs the truth of the word of God because the truth from Cindy will not set me free. It's fantastic advice, but it will not set me free. The truth of God's word will set me free. And so we have to come to the place that I'm going to abide in truth. And now if I wanna be set free from any circumstance that I'm facing, I need to know truth. Truth is what sets us free. Is that making sense? I know that's a lot, but the truth sets us free. Here's what it means to compromise spiritually. When we talk about living an uncompromised lifestyle. So again, point number one is that we take responsibility and we do our part, right? Point number two is that we know the truth, no exceptions, okay? Here's the thing. When we, here's what compromise spiritually actually means. The enemy does not walk up to you and go, I think you should throw Jesus out and do this instead. Has anybody ever had the enemy walk up to you and say that? No, you're like, huh, you're a devil if I ever knew one, <laughs> right? We don't have to know much Bible to know that. What does he do? You can have both. You can have both. Did God really say? That's where it all started. He has not changed his tricks. He does the same thing over and over and over and over. And he's like, huh, works every time. Why? Because you can have both. You can eat from the tree and keep your relationship with God. You can pursue this and keep your relationship with God. You can have this and keep your relationship with God. And so we do, and we compromise and we fall into the trap that I can have both, right? So now as I'm having both, God, it keeps falling apart and it's really difficult. So what do we get rid of? God. So now we did the very thing that the enemy was trying to deceive us to do because we thought we could have both. The Bible says that you cannot serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other or love the other and love, uh, hate one that we cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot serve two masters, that there is one or the other. See, when I seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things are added to me. But when I think I can seek these things and hope God is added to me, it doesn't work out. The Bible never says that. It says to seek first the kingdom and then things come. It does not say to seek things and then God comes. We can't have both, but spiritual compromise comes in when we think we can have both. I can have the life I wanna live out here and I can have my relationship with God over here, even though I gotta make some acceptance in the word along the way to be able to live this lifestyle. And then we are not abiding in truth. And then we wonder why it gets hard to manage both because we were never created to manage both. We were created to live in a relationship with Jesus. That's how we were created to live. So that's what it means to compromise spiritually. We cannot live in the flesh and get spiritual results. That's what Satan was trying to tempt us to do. Let's look at, um, let's go on to our next point. Okay, so now 
Point number one, I take responsibility. I do my part. Point number two, I know truth. Okay, point number three is that I live in truth. Okay, look at John 15, John chapter 15. We're gonna start in verse one and it says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches and he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I just wanna stop there. For without me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and I in you. Okay, back towards the beginning. Did we catch where it says, if we are not connected to the vine, if we are not abiding in the vine, we cannot produce fruit. We cannot produce fruit. Okay, so when we are living out truth in our lives, living out truth in our lives means that fruit is being produced in our life then we carry the fruit of God's word. We carry the fruit of the spirit. We carry the fruit of truth. Okay, but here's the thing. Too many times we can get confused and we can go, yeah, but I'm a really good person. They're a really good person. They're good people. That is fantastic. And I'm really happy that they're good people. But if they're not connected to the vine, then it's good character, not fruit. And a tree is always known by its fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. It can produce good character. So we can be easily deceived by people around us. And this is part of living out truth is who are we surrounded by? And what kind of truth am I living out? Am I living out a life that is producing the fruit of God's word everywhere I go in every season that I'm in? Because it says that when we are planted in the house of God, when we are planted in the word of God, when we abide in Christ, that even in dry seasons, we will not cease to produce fruit. So in dry seasons, am I producing fruit? Am I producing the fruit of God's word? If not, all I'm doing is producing good character. And good character is man-made. It can lead no one to Jesus because I'm not connected to Jesus myself. So outside of a relationship with Jesus, all I can produce is good character. All I can be is a good person, but I cannot be a person that produces the fruit of God's word and the fruit in all seasons, unless I'm connected to Jesus. Do we see that? So I have to be connected to him in order to produce fruit that is made by him. The Bible says to be doers of the word and not hearers only, that we take what we know. So we know the truth. We know the person of the truth. I have a relationship with truth. Well, now I've got to apply that to my life. And this is where I want to take just a minute and talk about the importance of surrounding ourselves with people of truth. Guys, who we surround our, your tribe affects your vibe. Who we surround ourselves with is very important, is very important. Because when you think about, I talked about the Israelites earlier, that they stayed in a place of Kadesh. They didn't go into the promised land. It was not the giants that kept them from the promised land. It was the voices of people that they listened to. The giants didn't kick them out. The giants didn't say, you cannot come in here. There was not a no trespassing sign. It was the voice of people that kept them from the promised land. So I've thought about that. That's always my, my friendship go-to is that story. Because when I think about that, I go, I will not compromise and allow myself to be surrounded by people that have an influence in my life that will keep me from experience God's best for me. 
I want to be surrounded by people that will speak the truth of God's word into my life. Not people who will doubt what the enemy is going to do and keep me from the destiny that God has. Guys, these were people, they all heard the same truth. They all heard God said, you can possess the promised land. And did you know the instructions that they were given were to go see what is there and to go see how we may enter? The question was never, can we do it or can we not? That was not the question for them. So they went into the promised land and came back, not with even following the instructions that were given to them. They came back out and said, we can't do it. The giants are too big. That wasn't the instructions. You were never supposed to assess the size of the giants, but they came back and now an entire people missed out on God's destiny because we listened to other people over God. And so when we are living out truth in our life, I cannot express enough the importance of surrounding yourself with people that not only are abiding in truth themselves, but that aren't afraid to speak truth into your life. That is a hard thing to ask somebody, but if they cannot speak truth into your life because they're too worried about your comfort, you should probably move them down a couple circles of friends. And that sounds really harsh. You know, Orin and I were dating. It was one of our first few dates, I can't remember. Um, but that was something that was very big to me because I can be independent and bold and hard-headed and simple things. Okay, so that comes out, I mean, kind of intimidating. But here's what I know is that the truth of God's word says that my husband's supposed to be the spiritual head of my house, supposed to be the leader of my home. And in honoring God, that that's something me, even strong and independent, that I go, I have to be able to submit to. What I could not allow is to have in my marriage a man that could not speak truth to me. It's a hard thing to say. And I asked him, we were on a date, and I said, can you put me in my place? And he goes, what? And I said, can you put me in my place? If I'm being a witch, can you say to knock it off? If, if I'm dead set on this decision and my heart's set on it, but it's outside of the boundaries of the word of God, can you tell me no? If you can't, this won't work. And he thought about it for a minute and he goes, I, I think I can. Okay, but that, that's something that is huge to me because I won't rule my home. That's outside of God's order but I've specifically asked someone in my life to go call me on my nonsense. I am not a perfect person and I need someone that'll call me on it. And every close friend in my life, if they are not able to speak truth, they are not a close friend in my life because I don't need comforted. I need someone that will keep me in line and speak the truth of God's word. My parents, they're fantastic parents. They do not butter me up. They may let me vent for a minute, I'm not allowed to stay in this place. I'm not allowed to stay in a place contrary to the word of God. I'm not allowed, I'm outside of their home, but there are a spiritual accountability in my life that their job is to speak truth into my life. They are not supposed to make me feel good. I need truth. Every single one of us needs truth and here's why. Let's jump in the Bible and look at a couple Bible stories. We're gonna face things, we talked about that. In this world, we're gonna have trouble, okay? We are gonna face things. When we face them, do we have a Silas next to us in prison? 
We've never thought about that part of the story. Who's in prison with you? Thank goodness there wasn't a whiny Israelite with Paul. He might've killed him. But, (laughs) But think about it for a minute. Think about Paul and Silas. Thank God there was a Paul to be with Silas. Thank God there was a Silas to be with Paul because they surrounded themselves with people that regardless of the situation, they're gonna praise anyway because they're grounded in truth. I am thankful for the Mordecai's in every Esther's life that said, get up and do something about this. And she says, it's uncomfortable. You don't understand what that would do to my life. You don't know, I'd rather die in comfort. And he said, okay, you will because you're gonna be taken out too. He did not say, by all means, stay alive in your palace, princess. He did not keep her comfortable. He said, I need you to go. If not, you're gonna be taken out too. We need a Mordecai. Do you have a Mordecai? Are you a Mordecai? Have you asked someone in your life to go, do not allow me? Okay, that is a hard thing to do. And then it gets really, really hard when they actually follow through with what you ask them to do. It's really hard. Okay, because then you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know why I asked you to do this because this is really painful and I just need you to hear me right now. And I just need you to, Orin and I are that. And I remember one night I got so mad over something and he goes, is that all it took? (sighs) Nothing should have that much power over your emotions. You're in charge over your emotions. So if that gave your emotions that much power, you gave it that much power. I'm about to give you power in my emotions. <laughs> okay, that is hard. And I'm sure uh, somebody else, it might've been hard for them to do. I'm sure Oren loved every minute of it. But no, that's a hard thing to do, to speak truth in those moments. But that is exactly what I needed to hear, even though it wasn't what I wanted to hear. I wanted him to jump on my bandwagon and get mad at the thing or the person that I was mad about in that moment. That's not what I needed. I needed someone that would align with truth and the truth of God's word. Okay, I need someone when I'm in those prisons. I mean, who needs a Shadrach and a Meshach and an Abednego? That when I'm facing fire, I have someone with me that believes in God that is gonna stand with me, that is gonna stand on the truth of God's word. And if we're going in the fire, we all gonna burn, right? Not one that quits and jumps ship. We need someone that's gonna stand there with us, that's gonna be there with us. And we need to ask those people, will you speak truth into my life? Surround ourselves with those kind of people, not the kind of people, especially, I mean, in in all areas of life, but especially in the area of your spouse. If your close circle of friends will jump on your bandwagon against your spouse when you have a disagreement, they will lead you into a divorce. Your close circle of friends should stand on truth. And even if the other person is wrong, they're still gonna make you do the right thing because that's what the word of God says. Those are the kind of people you want surrounded you. If they will jump on your bandwagon and I'll test people, you just go test your friends, come up with a problem and go tell them about it and see what they respond. And if they respond on your bandwagon, back at a bus, white boy, kick them out, okay? They don't get to ride the ship. We, we sit there and we, we know, we set a standard. Paula is a great friend and know she'll do the right thing outside of emojis <laughs> in my life. But set people, be specific with people 
about what you're asking them to do. Live in truth, surround yourself in truth. Comfortable lives accomplish nothing. Comfortable lives accomplish nothing. Sometimes we're trying to be the most popular person. We're trying to make popular decisions. Only unpopular decisions make you popular. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. And we need to surround ourselves with people of truth, with truth. I sounded like I was in court. So help me God. <laughs> okay, point number four is to speak truth. But these have to be in this order. First, I have to take responsibility. Secondly, I have to know truth. Now, I have to live truth. And then four is now I speak truth. I wanna read a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Okay, and he was a pastor and he was in Germany and actually uh, Hitler killed him two weeks before everybody was released. Um, but one of the things that he said is he said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Our lives matter. What we do matter. My mom has always said silence is yes to the devil. When you think about in the garden in the very beginning, sometimes we're like, oh, it was the girl that ate the apple and that's why the world fell apart. And that is true. But on the other side of it, what we see is someone that saw something that was evil that chose not to speak up. Adam knew the truth of what God said. He didn't tell his friend the truth of the word of God. He just ate the apple with her. And then he blamed her as soon as God showed up. Not an inner circle friend, bad friend. She didn't really have any choices. It was Adam or the serpent. But think about that in our lives for just a minute. <laughs> Martin's laughing at me. Can we speak truth into the lives of the people around us? Do we speak truth into the lives of the people around us? Here's my question with that. Do we truly love them if we refuse to speak truth? Do we truly love them if we refuse to speak truth? Or are we just empowering the lie of their condition? I'm gonna leave you there. I'm not, I'm not gonna speak truth. I'm not gonna speak the truth of God's word into this situation. I'll call you my friend. I know you're a good person, but I can't speak truth because you may get mad at me. Then we're too concerned with appeasing people than we are with pleasing God. And again, that's another hard truth, but I wanna look at the reality of really where the Church of America really is. Because here's the thing is that we can live our lives in a way that we go, man, I know what truth says. I know what truth is, but I'm going to appease the person. I'm going to do whatever in this circumstance. I'm going to compromise the truth and the character of God in order to make my friends feel good. So I'm appeasing people. But then we get so upset at our teenagers when they do the same thing. They just want to appease their friends too. They know the standard of the word of God. You raise them in it. More is caught than taught. Our lives make a statement. When we don't speak it's, it's to, to act or to not act is to act. When I don't speak up in truth and say something, when I need to say something, I'm saying something. I'm saying I agree. When I put myself in a situation and I don't do what everyone else is doing, but I'm there, you said enough. 
I don't speak up. I don't act like everyone else is acting. I don't, I don't call sin what it is. I just let it slide. That's a statement. That's a statement that it's acceptable. That's a statement that you're okay with it. Guys, when we truly love people, we don't judge people. And this can come across two ways because we see the church on one side and one end of the spectrum where it just judges everybody. You're not allowed to be unholy and I hope you don't have sin in your life because somehow that church doesn't have any sin because they judge everyone. But then we have the other end of the spectrum that, my gosh, the church can be whatever they want. They tolerate whatever, they live however, because there's no standard of truth in the word of God because we may hurt people's feelings and they may leave the church. So there's two ends of the spectrum in the church in America, but somewhere right in the middle that if we were truly to align ourselves with the person of truth, that we would be able to speak truth in such a way. The Bible says to speak truth in love, to balance truth and mercy, that we're able to speak and go, no, it's because I love you that I'm gonna speak the truth of you. And I'm gonna speak the truth to you because I want you set free. I don't want you stuck there. They may walk away. They may leave. People are gonna leave. People are gonna walk away. Everybody has their own choice. We talked about that. They're gonna go. But a friend will speak truth into their life. Not speaking truth to their life is just empowering what they're doing and agreeing with them. People are gonna walk away. People are gonna leave, but God doesn't. And here's the thing, if we cannot speak truth into the lives of the people around us, should they really be there anyway? Should they be that close circle of friends? Because you're telling me if we cannot speak truth into that circle of friends' lives, into that person's life, but they have an influence in my life, then I have to compromise the standard of truth in my life in order to appease the standard of truth in their life. That's not what Jesus called us to do. That's not where who we're created to be. But we can know truth and we can bring freedom and we can speak truth and we can love them. Jesus didn't judge anybody. He didn't criticize anybody. He died for everybody. He died that we would be set free. If you'll stand with me as we close, Guys, and I wanna reiterate and reiterate and reiterate and reiterate how much our God truly does love us. But when we live in a subpar truth, we close off everything that he wants to do on our behalf and we, it affects generations, it affects peoples, it affects communities, it affects schools, it affects so many more people than you. And as I was praying and fighting through this today, I go, man, it is gonna step on toes. That's what I told God, I don't wanna speak this message. I wanna speak another message. I wanna speak an encouraging message. And I heard in my spirit, what about this isn't encouraging? All of it. But then when I really think, I go, guys, how different would America look? How different would the church look if we didn't tolerate everything and speak up for something? If we weren't silenced and so worried about everybody's feelings everywhere we go and so worried about how to make someone else feel better that we won't speak up and speak truth into their lives. How different would the church be? How different would schools be? If the people speaking up weren't the ones trying to get rid of prayer. When we live in a nation that it is normal, it's normal for church leadership to be at the bar on Saturday night and lead in worship the next morning. 
That's normal in the American church. It's normal. Abortion is normal. It's not even, oh, another one. That's the America we live in. That's mind blowing to me that that is our country. And I look and I go, oh my gosh, we're in the end times. And the church is supposed to be the people leading people to Jesus. The church is supposed to be the people going, I know how you can be set free. I know how this can be different in your life. I know how to lead you to the person that died for you, that it doesn't matter what you do, where you've been. It, it doesn't matter because I know the person of truth. But instead, we're trying to be the exception to the word of God. And we can lead people nowhere because we're helping them justify where they're at instead of leading them out of that. We're created to love people, but not leave them there just as Jesus. That was his mission. Our mission is exactly the same. And so my heart in, in praying today in the, the climax of this story, the climax of the end times of going, is there gonna be a church that rises up and chooses to stand on truth? Is there gonna be a church that says, I take responsibility for my life. I'm gonna do the plans and the purposes that God has for me. I don't care what I've messed up. I don't care where I've been because I know God's grace not only covers that, but empowers me in truth. When it says that the Holy Spirit comes to convict, it's not to condemn you, that's from the enemy. Conviction is conviction to righteousness. It is to help me to do the right thing. And that I can't lead people somewhere that I haven't been and I can't lead people out of a place that I've compromised and set in with them. Somewhere, we have to get a bit of, bit of a, a backbone. Go, I'm gonna speak up. I'm gonna speak the truth. I'm gonna speak the truth if it offends people. I'm gonna speak the truth if it hurts. I'm gonna speak because I love people so much and I would hate to get to the end of life and go, God, I loved everybody. I didn't hurt anyone's feelings in my whole life. Maybe they made it to heaven, maybe they're in hell, but I didn't hurt their feelings. And that's a different reality when we see things that way, that what we do matter, that our lives make a statement. And I know just in prayer that there's a separation happening. When I say the climax of the story and we see who's gonna rise to the occasion and we see who's not going to, when we see the ones that are gonna walk away and stay comfortable, it's gonna happen. You'll see it within churches, you'll see it in people across America. There will be people that rise to the occasion and there will be people that stay in comfort and there will be people that just walk away. And you know, I even think about, you know, when Jesus is going to the cross and he has the disciples with them and they know this is the climax of the story, this huge thing is happening. There's this big event, he spoke truth and, and Jesus told them what was gonna happen and told them what was gonna come and things are getting hard and things are getting scary and Judas sold out. Things got hard. So I'm gonna sell out the thing that's gonna get hard and I'm gonna appease my flesh over here to his own demise. So we see it even in the life of Jesus. Guys, people are gonna walk away. I don't want it to be anyone in this room. 
I don't want it to be any of your kids. I don't want it to be any of your families. I don't want it to be any of your coworkers. I want it to be the exact opposite, that we love people so much that we see lives being changed and people set free because we know that that's what the truth of God's Word and that's what it does. And not only for my life, but when I start living this out, then everybody around me is set free because I'm not afraid to speak truth. You guys look so sad. This is good news. It's good news. Does it hurt? You betcha, and I love you. I just made a decree tonight that I love you all so much. I'm not afraid to hurt your feelings. Don't write me letters or send me emails. Send them to Todd. He filters all of that. Okay, let him know how you feel about the truthful situation. Be truthful in your letter. But... But for real, guys, this is not bad news. This is not hard news. This is not to condemn anyone. If you feel shame, guilt, any of those things right now, it is not from God. That's from the enemy. Conviction, that's different. Conviction is, yeah, I'm gonna get some things right. But then here's where you have the choice because two things happen whenever we're confronted with something that we have to get right. One, I'm too prideful and I don't have to. I would never admit that weakness. I would never admit that and fix that. I would never walk away, okay, that's fine. Or two, you're right. And that hurts. I'm a little ticked off right now, but I'm gonna fix it later because I'm gonna change my attitude. But those are the two places that we can be. But there's a choice that we can make in that. I'm gonna choose truth. I'm gonna choose the truth of God's word or I'm gonna choose my feelings and my comfort. One's gonna lead you to the fullness of life that God has for you and the other one, you'll just die in your comfort. No one can choose for you. That's the hardest part about this. Because if I can choose for everybody, I would. I would say choose life. I would say choose to live by the standard of the word of God. Make the hard decisions, make the little decisions, be obedient in the little things so that God can allow you to be obedient in the big things. That's what I would say but I can't make those decisions for you. Only you, you are the only person that has the power to make those decisions about your life. If you will bow your heads and close your eyes, first and foremost, we cannot know truth. We cannot walk in truth. We cannot speak truth. We cannot even begin to have power over the enemy. Guys, do you understand that the person, when you have Jesus living on the inside of you, you've already overcome the enemy. Really, we live life trying to overcome us. That's our real battle, is I have to overcome my complacency, my comfort, my laziness, and I have to choose to serve Jesus. Sin is defeated, the enemy is defeated. But we can't start to walk in truth and walk in freedom unless we know Jesus. And so I'd ask you just to search your heart right now and go, do I know Jesus? Have I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? Have I made that decision? And if there's a question, then make the decision. So if you have not made that decision and you do not know that you know that you know that you know that you are absolutely saved and have asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I'd ask you just to lift your hand with me. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But guys, this is the most important decision that we could ever make in our entire life, that we cannot live a life outside of a relationship with Jesus. And he died to have a relationship with you. And I believe that every single person in here is saved. But guys, as I close, Please know my heart and please know the heart of your father. 
that he loves you enough to have the, the, the hard the, the conversations. In Proverbs, it says that those that the Lord loves, he corrects. Those that the Lord loves, he corrects. Guys, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows our tomorrow and he has a plan for good for our tomorrow. We're the ones that can make it bad. And so as we close, I would just ask you just to meditate on this as you leave and don't let it just go to waste and go, do I truly live by the standard of the word of God as the final word? Or do I make an exception that has to do with everything with God so that I can appease friends, so that I can appease my flesh, so I can appease what feels good. And if there's time for God, I make time for God. Or are the things in the word of God, when it says to not let the word depart from your mouth, when it says to pray without ceasing, when it says that this is, this is our lifeline, the word of God is, is that truly what it is in our life if we allowed that, that standard to be diminished? What things have we made exceptions to in the word of God?